Songs Pod. We got Mr. Amos in the house. <laughs> Special guest. right episode 115 three songs Good podcast Lord. yeah special edition with a special guest tonight april 22nd 2020 bob nastanovich mike hogan here joined by our special guest host email amos welcome email anyway, welcome Mr. Amos. yeah feels good yeah all the way from um, north carolina right that's True. Yeah. Now, now I am. I'm back. I'm back home. I'm. I'm from around where Bob's from, I believe. Where would in, that be? In terms. Well, I'm from Chapel Hill, supposedly. Oh, yeah, I grew up. So in we're not yeah. too far. Far. Away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's what's like what's that four and a half hours or something? Yeah, with 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 normal traffic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's if there ever well, was. So we. You could could almost um, theorize, but you would be the scholar. But you you could almost theorize that we were sister cities with band crossover, just like Louisville and Chicago, because it's the same distance. But you would you would know more than me in terms of like the early days mixture. I mean, we like kind of borrowed breadwinner from you, kind of. Well, that was a gift from Richmond to you. <laughs> Felt good. Yeah, yeah, and honor roll, and honor roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinnacle. I mean, what I don't. Have you guys I ever need done to for know. Us? Hold it, hold it. What have you guys ever done for us? <laughs> you know what I mean? Merge. Yeah. In poll though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but we didn't. We didn't like. I don't know of artists that like moved there, but I'm sure. I'm sure we had them. I don't know. I think you guys are all taking no give when it comes to like you know. <laughs> <laughs> So you, what year did you move to Louisville? I moved to Louisville in 1993. I grew up in uh, Rochester, New York, and then I moved to Richmond in 72. I went to school in Charlottesville in 85 to 89. Had a brief stint in Hoboken and Jersey City, and then worked my way to Louisville in 93. Okay. For the first of our many connections, we both have weird connections between us. But um, but my grandma and my mom grew up in in Louisville, and they uh, my my grandma was the art critic for the Courier Journal in like the fifties and sixties, and she was pulled out of her burning house that she lit on fire by your famous uh, newscaster. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but I guess you weren't there, so you wouldn't have like woke up and saw the news. But we have a lot of connections between us, and I think Louisville and and Chapel Hill are also sister cities in in their way, you know. Oh, absolutely. I don't know how, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, 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 uh, like, like a lot Athens. of bands. Well, Athens, you're inviting a whole other 
city into the triangle. Um, I'm not trying to be difficult, right. but like, I mean, like, you know, I've got like, I'm going to kind of be a jerk here. Like, you know, we always kind of resent Tobacco Road in Virginia because of the round ball, because of the basketball, you know, and like, and keep in mind, like, you know, Cat's Cradle is like a club that I, like you, that, you know, is given us some fantastic nights in our life you know it's sure and so like uh, my fondest memories of going to north carolina um aside from getting run over by a van outside of wilmington one night um That's which is actually memory. a fond memory because i survived it <laughs> uh, <laughs> my only trip there but like yeah no like when i think of like north carolina in terms of my music experience i think of like cat's cradle in particular like yeah, what a fantastic venue! Yeah, I'm like I'm like 700 feet from that place right now. My 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 house is really close. Um, yeah, you're but, a good you spot know, then. Those perfect spot, but the but the those connections. If you just look like even at the surface, the connections are there. Like Flat Duo Jets is in the Athens Inside Out documentary, which really doesn't make a lot of sense but like rem played their first <laughs> show here in, in like uh in like a a caboose down the street from my house it's like you can see it from the cat's cradle and like 83 i think rem played there there's a lot of connections between all these places but with louisville for me it's more family shit right yeah did you play there are you talking about in louisville did you play live music there you well, I was just there when the whole virus hit, and we were playing at uh, Headliners at, like, uh, what, three, three, four weeks ago or something? What what group was that? That was Ohm. Uh, oh, okay, uh, yeah. Oh, you played in that band? Yeah, yeah. The Chicago, the Chicago band? It's, well, it started, it was like a Bay Area band, but it's on Drag City, so that's probably your mental connection. Different maybe. Ohm, not the, that band, not the OHM. OHMME. What, yeah, not the, that one. What's... Different, yeah. yeah, different one, but I think a bunch mm. of your friends were there. Oh, you're, thinking we OM. you're thinking OM, you're thinking OM. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, oh, shit, I, I, think, I, I think I was there that night. <laughs> well, it was right when things were about to close down. I don't know what the what's the last concert you went to when everything shut down. Oh, I don't know. That's a tough question. M. Do Mokhtar last fall? That was good. <laughs> okay, oh no, I saw somebody. Back. Oh no, actually, I saw Black Lips about at. Um, I saw Black Lips um, on a whim about ten days before things shut down. I'd say like uh, early March here in Des Moines. Was that headliners too? No, this is in Des Moines. This is at um, I can't remember the name of the venue. It's over there on the east side. I only go there like once a year. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, you've seen that band, Black Lips, right? I have sort of. I think I partied with one of those guys. I I haven't. I don't remember seeing them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I saw. I, I've never. I never. You know, it's one of those rare experiences where it's like a, a band that's kind of famous, right? Um, but like, I'd never actually heard their music at all. And like, somebody was just like, "Hey, you should like, uh, you gonna go to the show?" And I was like, "All right." You know, I haven't been out in like two months other than the quiz, so I'll go to this. You know, so and I went. And I was. I was enthralled. 
you you probably have a lot of these experiences where you were just you were in the festival circuit, you know. So like you walk by and you see a band for literally three seconds, but like then you kind of get a you get a sense of them, or you party with the drummer, or you know, it's like that kind of thing. They're like they were always on the festival thing when we were or something. Right. Yeah. Same thing. But like, keep in mind, I've been pretty inactive since the '90s, except for 2010. What was the 2000? Oh, the reunion. Yeah, I played that yeah, fucking reunion with you too. Where was that? Uh, I played at Buttons because I'm in that band Grails, and and Stephen invited us to that too. Oh, see, I, I don't think I saw you. Well, and I don't think I'd even saw your physical body. I don't remember seeing you around for some reason. I don't well, know. Well, it was where. a big space. It was a big space. It was several acres. And I didn't sleep much, but but we just didn't cross paths until until now. Dude, did you know that that's the first place that Paul McCartney ever sang in front of people? No. And it's the first place that Ringo had like a professional music job before the Beatles with like that. Wow, that that band that was it like something like Rory Storm or some shit, but it was like his, his holiday band when, when they before they invited him in. But so that we were fucking partying on like very sacred ground, which we of course we didn't realize at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's seem it seems sacred enough to me, you know. So I was just, well, I was just happy to be in England, you know. I love, totally, totally I, you guys you guys there's you're gonna do that again, aren't you? Oh wait. The whole thing just got canceled again, and I was going to play that with you again in in Portugal. Oh no, yeah, they'll push that back. Yeah, yeah. see you next year. See you next year, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, well, Mike, that was part of our. Oh, no, 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 just... I don't know if we should officially announce that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, you as know. Far as I know, everything's We've a lot of trouble. We've, Three Songs Pod has like you know a few hundred regular listeners, but like I've managed to get us in a lot of trouble now. Mr. Mr. Amos. I thought that was sorry. I thought was that was like widely announced though, right? I am the loose lips that sink the ships, brother. Come on now. <laughs> I do remember that you got in trouble for the uh saying that Silver Jews were back or something. Yeah, that's that was the biggest mistake I made. No, the Purple Mountains thing. I I uh the purple, the purple Mountains record, I announced that in it rather innocently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I was on the instructions, the, the instructions that I had at the time were not to play the music, but it didn't mean that the instructions were like strictly do not play these songs, but at the same time, like there's nothing like don't announce that it's going to be eventually going to happen. So, like, I still will proclaim my innocence in that regard, but that's <laughs> beside the point. What are you going to play? What are you going to play? <laughs> What do you got for us, Emil? Uh, um, I think we're gonna we're about to delve into me and Mike's uh, connection, so let's just kick off with "Bingle Bangle" by Jim Shepard. Is this a trombonist? No. <laughs> Bingo, bangle, pingle, spingle, 
Jim Shepard. Totally. Weirdly, weirdly beautiful song, that one. True. Do you know Tom Lawrence? Yeah. I don't know him personally, no. Released on the Great Soap Breeze label by Tom Lax. 1995 for that one. What made you pick that song? Well, this is a great way to get into uh, re-meeting you. So, so I was on Twitter, and I had done that episode on the history of home recording on my my podcast and i was uh i was sort of bracing myself for the like the particular kinds of i know something you don't know kind of kids that would come out of the come out of the woodwork and be like well you know why didn't you cover the you know the most obvious like weird british you know home recording group and i was just bracing myself for being like shamed and you came out of the woodwork and you were like i was really confused why you didn't why you skipped over jim shepherd and i was like i had just been to this local legend dude's house here named ron liberty and he makes all the cat's cradle flyers he's he's one of our greatest chapel hill artists and uh I had just been over to his house and he had been listening to the podcast and he was like, he was like, you got to listen to vertical slit, man. And I was like, I remember that name, but I don't really remember hearing of them. I didn't have the right friends or some shit. And, uh, and then you said that in the tweet and I was like, fuck. And I started writing you, we started talking about who Jim Shepard was and you, you schooled me. And I was like, I flipped onto YouTube and that was the first song I heard. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm an idiot. Like that dude, like that black magic vibe that you could get from a seven Oh, uh, seven inch in 1989. He delivered it in that song. And I was like, I'm a fucking idiot. Cause this guy is clearly the OG Black Magic four tracker that I totally fucked up by skipping, you know. That's okay. That's okay. It's it's hey, funny. That'll happen. That'll happen. You mentioned <laughs> so you mentioned your podcast. Let's let's give it the name. I mean, Drift- keep in mind the album's called Picking Through the Wreckage with a Stick. Picking through the wreckage with a stick. <laughs> Jim Shepard um, e- emails emails podcast. He's talking about is Drifter Sympathy, and and I'll be honest here. 
I don't listen to podcasts. The only podcast I regularly listen to is emails. Um, and how do you get there? How do you get there? Uh, you can, yeah, I don't. How'd you find out about it? Is um, it on SoundCloud? It's on you know Apple um, Podcasts. I'm sure it's I don't know email. You 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 say you got a you got a Patreon page. Yeah, I don't say, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, somehow I stumbled upon I mean, somebody. No, re- I was. I was exactly the same way as you. Like I had my podcast going before I even really listened to podcasts, which I think helped out in making it a little bit more unlike all the other stuff out there. But um, but yeah, I just on my fucking phone, I just hit the purple podcast <laughs> app button and it comes up. Yeah. But you can easily look it up. It, Drifter Sympathy is the name. But um, but how did you find out about it? I I don't I, remember that story. I I don't know. I think I saw somebody tweet something about it and I was like oh that sounds cool and then you know it's funny because I'll go back to to our real connection um the song that I played at the top of the show is from an EP that you sent me I want to say 1999 when I was running the record label and out of the blue and maybe it was even earlier than that out of little the blue, brother little, little brother, brother out of the blue I get a um, an unsolicited oh, CD from one email Amos <laughs> Holy Sons um, and it included that track that we played at the start uh, and I'm just because I'm an asshole, I probably didn't write you back. But I remember liking it and thinking, you know, like I feel bad because I'm not really releasing a whole lot of stuff. I don't know what to have to say. And it was pre-social media, so I couldn't just like pull you up on Twitter and send you a message. So I probably never even reached out to thank you, but I held on to it. And so I was familiar with the Holy Sons. I was familiar with a lot of the stuff that you ended up going on to do. And then when I saw you were doing a podcast, I was like, oh, cool. He's probably got something interesting to say. So I checked it out and um, you didn't disappoint. So uh, then I then I, I stumbled upon the, the home taping episode. And not to be like the jerk that's going to be like, well, why didn't you play? But like, I've, I'm a huge Jim Shepard fan. I mean, and I think we didn't even mention like in 1977, he re- like recorded and released Slit and Pre-Slit on his own label. Like he, I think the story goes, he got in a car accident or a, or a motorcycle accident. And with the money, he bought a, a four track and a guitar. And that's what he used to like record this record, um, and supposedly he made like a hundred of them, and he sent them to like John Cale and David Bowie, and you know like gave them to friends. So like the original version of it, it probably goes for thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, wow! But uh, but yeah, I've just always been a fan of his stuff because he's sort of like you said that like legend. Uh, way before Sebado, way before a lot of the home taping thing became the craze in the late 80s and in the early 90s, certainly. And when I got into it, like, you know, Jim Shepard was already around for years. Okay, so so he ended up writing a couple songs with Robert Pollard. So by the time Robert Pollard would have come into contact with him, you're saying he was an established, like, legend by that point. 
at least around the um, Columbus, Ohio, and even Cleveland, Ohio area. Yeah, I mean, Pollard would have known of him for sure. I mean, he had his own record label, uh, Iron Press and Old Age. Uh, I mean, he was in a number of different bands, um, Vertical Slit and V3, most notably. Yes, see, I only, I only own the V3 7-inch. Yeah. I mean, V3 was a hell of a band. I mean, they they released, you know, after you know, post-Nirvana, when alternative rock was going to be huge you know they landed on a quote-unquote major label from um i mean distributed by american records it was onion records it was um what's um not gerard the other guy um the matador guy founded chris lombardi or patrick amory no um oh it's gonna drive me crazy now um yes breklow yeah Um, oh johan 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 kugelberg um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the Swedish yeah, guy, yeah. the Swedish guy. Right, he founded Onion <laughs> Records and released a number of records, Thomas Jefferson Slave Apartments, and and released this V3 record in 96. Yeah, did you ever meet Johan? Did you ever meet Johan? I never did. Did you email? I don't think, I know I've been like in conversation like at a party or a show, but I, I don't remember shaking his hand, now. I unquestionably met him. Interesting guy. He's got a reputation. <laughs> all right anyways we'll just like leave it there we'll like, leave it there um <laughs> but i'll 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 pivot into playing some v3 i'll play something from that that record that came out in 96 and you know i think hold it you're double bubbling off of emo's track well this is by design this is sort of by design you know sort of by design i right, i had been back. wanting to play some jim shepherd <laughs> v3 creeps, creeps got together for like you know whatever and playing this shit out and you dropped it in my lap <laughs> That's right, Bob. That's like, gotta, a, that's sorry. like a guy, a guy sitting in Des Moines. Deal you know, with like. it. Deal with it, my man. So, so this is this is sort of um, I don't know, like the brilliant fractured songwriting of Jim Shepard. This is like a cynical but also beautiful song at the same time. Um, so his was from '95. What year is yours from? This is from '96. This is from that Onion nice. um, American Recordings LP. Um, that should have made them huge, but um, listen to the song. Even as catchy as it is, <laughs> you can kind of understand why it didn't break them big. Uh, this one's Bristol Girl. <laughs> i 
Jim Shepard, wow. V3. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he took it to like uh, 1996, right? Yeah. Photograph Burns, Photograph Burns. Photograph Burns, great record. With all due respect, easily not the best song off the record. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay, I got I got the whole record here. Wh- which one do you want, Bob? Let's, let's play it next. I don't want to hear any of them again, but like, you know, well, I'll hear, you know, but like, you know, I'll listen to the record on my own terms, but like, Horse Kick's way better, and, and, uh, End of the Bar is fantastic. <laughs> the whole album is great. I mean... The album is great. It's, not, it's weird like that you had to choose one off of that, but I'll go to... Uh, I'll pivot, <laughs> as you like to say. Okay, pivot. Thank you, sir. I'll pivot. Add a little life to the show. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Bumcello. Bumcello, right? You, you guys familiar with Bumcello? No. School us. Huh? I don't think so. Are you familiar with the, uh, the genre called down-tempo electronica? Uh, yes, yes, yeah, from France, yeah. Vincent, Vincent Segal, 2002 off the album Nude for Love. This song, I think you guys will like this song. It's going to freak you out a little bit. This is a, like a really famous uh, cellist. Okay. And this is called uh, Three Bandits by uh, Bum Cello.
Bumcello. Nice, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, I said figure like you to warm things up a little bit with a little French electronic music mixed with classical music. You know? <laughs> so, so help me understand what makes that Yo, so hi-fi. that that's a cellist, and the rest of the beat sounded kind of organic. What makes that classified as electronic music? Well, I think it's the most. I think it's basically all electronic except for the um, the string music. Okay. Yeah, I would. It's like he's you know worked with like you know all kinds of like. Uh, like world artists, but like you know, French reggae band Trio, and like, and Black Alicious, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and he's worked with Elvis Costello. He's like, uh, he's been around forever, but like, uh, and I only know like twenty of his tracks, and I know that album, Need for Love, and uh, but he's you know he's a celebrated artist, you know. All right, I just, I'll check. I just throw throw that one into the mixer, you know. I like that, Bob. Were you uh were you a DJ at UVA? Is that the story? Oh, just on college radio, yeah, WTJU, and I was a DJ was in that, high school too at uh, University of Richmond. Was the is the radio there pretty pretty legendary? Like like we've got XYC and uh, was it a great station? That still is, yeah. WTJU. Cool. No, it was it was ninety one point three when I was there. In fact, they just finished their rock marathon. And it's it's kind of like uh, to me like a special part of UVA culture. Like when I was there in the late eighties, it was like it was kind of like you know a bit the kind of the base, you know. And uh, it was great to be part of it, you know. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I bet it was exciting. But so you guys called a lot of your early like pavement. Uh, New Zealand influence and stuff from the radio station and stuff. That was like a crucial main vein, right? Well, yeah, because they had like an amazing vinyl library. Like we discovered like everything there that we didn't discover in record stores. So like it was a huge opening for, um, well, definitely like myself, you know, Stephen Malkmus, David Berman, uh, James McNew, uh, John Beers, several other a uh, hundred other people was like, you know, actually, do you know, uh, Carl Young who, uh, lives in Raleigh? Yeah, I know the, uh, famous psychologist. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 this is Y-O-U-N-G, but like, no, like, uh, no, that was like home for us. So they had like amazing stacks. Like you go in there now and it's all like, back then it was all vinyl. Like you had a DJ and like sometimes like one needle would be broken, like that kind of thing. It was like, and I, I was the station manager for a couple of years and like, I was kind of known for like kind of producing a circus atmosphere in there. I mean, uh, <laughs> sort of like I mean, what we have now. <laughs> well, like Tom Frank, like Tom Frank, like uh, he's a, like that. I mean, there's like, you know, there's a lot of people that like, you know, Tom, Tom Frank that started, started the Baffler, that guy? Yeah, that one writer guy. Yeah. He, he used to do the radio show after me, and he, he'd always start off every show with MC5, kick out the jams, and, like, he wouldn't even care. I did the 12. When I got to be older there, he, I would do the uh, midnight to 2 shift because I was a state station manager, and he'd do the Saturday night 2 to 6 a.m. shift, the Baffler guy. And, like, uh, like we would just like clear out because he'd come in like with his friends and like we often had a keg in there and like i mean it was sloppy like if you were doing like the the, everybody starts with the two to six a.m show back then (laughs) 
Yeah, and like, sure. you'd have to call call up the DJ at like 5 a.m. because they'd be passed out on the floor and there'd just be like a needle going around the end of a record. And like, <laughs> you, couldn't, you, you couldn't tell whether it was like, it's like somebody like playing Trisomy 21 or like that they just passed out on the floor, you know, like, and like, and back then, like, you know, the signal was like the signal, you couldn't get it like more than 12 miles away from Charlottesville. Now it's a big deal. Like right now, like. The three of us could like click this off and like listen to what WGG is doing now. But like back then it was like freelance radio. Then like towards the end of my experience at University of Virginia, they brought in like a guy that kind of cleaned things up. He like made it a little bit more professional. And like now they moved several times. But like back then it was just like a zoo, you know. <laughs> and the woman that like, uh, there's a woman named named Brenda Dunlap, who is an amazing character, as she is, and she ended up like being the costume designer for David Byrne, and she's like, her and Jim Schneider had the World Beat show. Is a great guy, and they just like would get like all these like goop balls from UVA and like even the community because like, I mean even and. You know, people that like had nothing to do with the university, the freaks from the town, like going and do radio shows. You know, so it made awesome. it kind of cool, but like, who knows? It's just kind of a magical era for WGJU back when it was ninety one point three, but it's still great as ninety one point one. But now it's more pro. You know, it went pro in ninety. Email, did you ever do college radio? I <clears throat> not really. I mean, I went in there and played my songs a a couple times in the early 90s and um it was a very magical kind of intimidating experience wxyc is was pretty heavy vibe like to to someone growing up here it's it's really one of the greatest radio stations in the country i mean there's so many of them but uh still to this day i listen to it and tape songs off of it so i know i can vouch for it as like spiritually being kind of a a beacon for us but um but i was just gonna say man can you imagine what pavement might not have even sounded like the way it ended up sounding without the fucking radio was such an important entity back then like like because uh, sebados told me directly too that like all that collage came off of the concept of just hearing like terrorist radio shows and like the insane kind of nonsensical stream of consciousness stuff. So just the idea that Jim Shepard or um, Flying Nun or somebody in New Zealand would be reaching out to you, you know, as someone who's probably like doing a keg stand and then flipping through the fucking records and they sent the stuff to you because they want you to hear it. It was just such a vital super highway. And I think some of that has been forgotten over time. That, that kind of main vein that that was, you know, and we had like in our case, we had like Steve Keen and star Keen, his wife. And like, they would do a show and like, they kind of keep it together and they come there with a game plan. And like we would just like carry record crates up there. Um, one great thing is the station manager is I got to choose all the DJs, so like I knew I could keep it like a rambling wreck. And like <laughs> I kind of like I kind of drove it into the ground in a lot of ways because like I'm, I'm afraid I, I would have like uh, approved appro- approved like set list by people that just like 
probably shouldn't have been on the radio, you know, but like, and it was, it was, it was less regulated back then. Like, I mean, like, I remember like, I've, I've talked about it on the show with Mike, like Ken Ganfield, like his show was so industrial noise. Like you couldn't tell whether you're listening to radio or just listening to noise. <laughs> <It's the> static. <laughs> yeah. Like, you could not even tell, like you could not even tell, like it was a radio. It's like you thought like people would flip over it, but then like at the same time you'd have like, the jazz professor would come in after you. Some <laughs> professor Bebop, like, yep, he's like a he's a great jazz professor, and like you know, sometimes he'd come on, like he'd, you know, he's like, be, like like people would come in like after like drunks and like play great jazz, but like it was insane. So it's still great. Don't get me wrong, but like free form. It was, it was a circus atmosphere. Free form. Were you? Guys, uh, were you guys kind of looking up to WFMU, or was it just like were you guys? We didn't. We didn't I had no idea what WFMU was. Wow, we were cool. just in the hills. We were in the mountains of Virginia, and we knew like at the most we had like two hundred listeners within like ten miles, and we'd get we'd get we'd have regular callers and stuff like that. But it was just like it was just like chaos, and a lot of it was stupid. Like I'm not gonna be you know. Yeah, I mean, we were very competitive too about our shows. Like, ten of my friends had shows, and like, you know, so we'd all be like battling for like, you know, the new V three seven inch. You know, like, to be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, and there's a great, obviously, there was like, you know, sub pop was like bursting through the roof, and like it would be, it'd be amazing if you had like the first guy that played Freak Scene. You know, so I mean, like. It was that kind of thing. So, like, you wanted to like be, you wanted to be popular, but like, on your own terms, it was just like, I don't know. Sometimes you put thought into it. Sometimes you just like, oh my god, I do, got to do a radio show. Like, you know, uh oh. <laughs> just like, just like a bus driving shift, or just like going to class. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. All right, Emo, what do you got next? Well. My original, my original idea for some reason was that I was going to play something by the Lime Spiders. Do you remember them, Bob? Oh fuck! I played them at the WTG for sure. The incredible Australian Garage Band. We could, we could still play. So them if fucking you want. good. You want to play it? Yeah. Well, yeah, that I was my that. original one. Yeah, totally. Well, fuck it. It's you short. Have we can play the fringe on you. Yeah, we, yeah. we got it. Here you go.
lime spiders. Sick. What part of Australia was that? Is that lot from? That, that's a great question. I'm I'm just gonna guess Melbourne, but I don't know. I'll look it up. Everything was so blink, green and black from them. Yes, like, <laughs> I fucking love that. <laughs> yeah. So what? Um, what I made- feel like there's a there's a through line between V3 and that in the sense that there's kind of like this is the pre grunge. Uh, these are the bands, the real underdogs that people like will never remember or won't dig back up because they're so pre internet. But I think there's. You can listen to some of that Lime Spider stuff and hear essentially like Nirvana guitar lines and shit. And no one, well, yeah, no one talks sure, about that band. Sure, but like, yeah, well, because like, one of the great thing about Australia is there's always been a tremendous amount of love for garage rock psychedelia. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, like, that's one thing they've always, like, even like in the case of like bands that got fame, sort of famous, like Hoodoo Gurus, like, um, there's always been like, f- you know, feed time, like who are like way harsher than lime spiders, but just like a pure celebration of like garage psychedelia. Well, and going back yeah. to radio Birdman for sure. You could, Oh, radio bird. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's a, it says here they're from Sydney. So that may, yeah, maybe they kind of, they're the tougher sort. No, Melbourne's tougher than Sydney, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Not in my experience. I almost got went to jail in Sydney. So, <laughs> well, let's let's hear about that real quick. <laughs> oh boy, I've. Uh, what I were was, you uh, doing? What, are you touring? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was Grails in Australia on our last night, and the promoter had been. What year are we us- talking about? What, what year? I'm just gonna say like. 10, 10, 9 years ago, something like that. Okay. Cool. And, um, you know, there's some sort of licorice shot they give you there. Do you know that drink they drink? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being punched in the face, and I drank like quite twice a bit. Twice as bad as Jägermeister or something? Yeah, something. It's a old. It's like much older. And yeah, then, yeah, like uh, Malort, Malort times four. Yeah, some of that shit. And so yeah. the promoter had been feeding it to us, and we it was our last show, so I guess we were flying out in the morning, and he was like, we got to go out and get another drink. And I truly didn't want to oh, go. Yeah. And we, you got to fly we out, out You've you got you to be in transit for 26 hours. Let's get him the, like, really messed up so he doesn't forget Australia kind of mood. Exactly. And I I've was already... There. I've been there. I'm sure. And I was so... So, so drunk. And then, so we got to the uh, pub, and they have these massive Malaysian bouncers there. And with the, you know, walkie-talkies and everything. And uh, (laughs) they wouldn't wouldn't let us in. And I, we just stood there and got really bored. And then they kind of let younger girls go in before us. And we just... Yeah, the the Velvet Rope. The Velvet Rope community. Exactly, and so yeah, we hate that sit there for a while, and eventually I'm just like, okay, let's go, let's go, and we start let's walking. Go, exactly, let's go. We gotta fly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was yeah. late too. Like they were closing down, and uh, I think the guy turned the big bar, the the big doorman turns and says, "Where the f- where the fuck <laughs> are you guys going?" or some shit like that. And I just I was really drunk, and so as we crossed the street. 
I just kind of randomly happened to pick up a, a wine bottle and just smash it against the wall. Like oh, wow. in a in a kind of a sort of like a West Side Story moment, but it was silly. It was, was stupid. That but you were in, kind of like like making sure you had your passport with you. <laughs> it wasn't. It was. Cra- it was super stupid. It was really dumb. But we were, you know, a little bit younger, and the guy was just like totally taunting us. So it was kind of a joke, and he took it like I threw it at him, which made no sense to me. And we oh, kept no. going. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we yeah. kept going down the street, and uh, we found this other bar. They wouldn't let anybody in. We're doubling back, and these girls had like a big bottle of liquor, and they were like, "Come with us to the park." And I'm like, "Sounds great." And I start walking towards the park, unknowingly, so drunk that I walked by the Malaysian bouncer. Great. And they have they have some sort of law there where you. If you supposedly look intoxicated and you try to get it into a bar, they can essentially physically destroy you until the cops get there. (laughs) But I wasn't trying to get back in the bar, and I never actually technically tried to get in the bar, but he saw me, and he was like, oh, I'm going to totally, like, within legal bounds, I'm going to destroy this guy. And he, like, grabbed me behind my neck and threw me against a wall. Yeah, and I had on this really particularly rare, like, Nottis Coppice, you know, the early Panther shirt from the 80s? The no. Escape so, not yeah, yes, so, oh my god, trivia, trivia, weird Hogan trivia here, my sister dated oh. Nottis Coppice's brother. Oh, fucking. <laughs> hold on, hold on, interrupt, interrupt, say that again, Mike. My sister <laughs> dated Nottis Coppice's brother. And, okay. And, and the that. thing with Nottis, skate, skateboarding legend, his name spelled backwards was Satan. And so it would, like, on the back of his shirts, it would say N A T A S. And, like, kids would wear it to school and they'd get kicked out because they'd think it was, like, Satan backwards. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, go, keep going. There you go. Well, I'm wearing this really rare, this this really rare shirt, and the guy throws me up against the wall. And right when I'm like, I sense there's that moment where his hands kind of loosen up, and he's calling the cops or somebody. I'm like, I'm like, I haven't done anything wrong technically in my mind, and so he his hands loosen up, and I'm with my friend. <laughs> Technically I'm with my in my mind, I, I turn to run because I'm like, "There's no fucking way this guy can catch me. There's absolutely no way." But my friend turns before me and kind of sees what I'm going to do and like falls in front of me and trips me entirely. And mm. so he grabs the back of my shirt, rips it in half. I'm pretty much half naked, and he kind of bloodies me up against the wall a little bit. The cops come, and I'm on the ground with no shirt on. I'm like, uh, I'm fucking American. I need to get back on the plane in the morning. I didn't even try to get in the motherfucker's bar. Yeah. And they eventually kind of believed me and let me go. But it but was what pretty was your? Do you remember what your footwear was? I'm going to say it was some sort of Italian soccer shoe. Yeah, good, good. I'm happy you had good, yeah, good yeah, proper shoes on. <laughs> Totally, but my friend admitted later because I was too drunk to know that my friend actually like umbro, me, but umbro it, soccer shoes or something. 
Yeah, some shit. But you, but you, you know, you've probably made some trouble in your time. That was totally innocent, but it turned into something. Do you? I mean, I don't know. I guess you got hit by a fucking car. No, it's a van that Gary Young drove in reverse. But like, uh, yeah, no, I've been in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> I've never been. I've never gone to jail. Have you? Did you? Yeah, did, you didn't actually have to go to jail that night, did you? They felt kind of bad for me. They could tell that the dude was like taking advantage of this legal ability to beat up somebody that looked intoxicated. They could tell that I hadn't actually done anything. Good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I did not plan on telling. I hope I didn't uh, well, turn away I'd like to, half I'd like of to, your I'd like, to, I'd like to tip my cap to the police of Australia, the police of Sydney, for making a, for making a proper judgment in your case. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, having having sympathy there, on, a, on a poor drunk lad that needed to get back to the United States, of, you know, of whatever the fuck we call this place. A, lo- a lot of things had to happen in order for us to be sitting here in, in our various three three different states talking to each other right now, and one of them was that the the uh, cops in Australia needed to let Emo go that night. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, no, believe me. <laughs> I've never, I've never had a run-in with the Australian police, and I've spent like 150 days of my life there. And like, I, I will admit that I have been in toxic. In fact, the first show in some hotel that we ever played in Australia in the early 90s would have been, I think, at the Arms Hotel in Sydney, and they filled our backstage with Gary Young in the band 93, I think it was. And with an incredible amount of Cooper's ale and I'd flown in from Japan and I drank a lot of it, I drank a lot of it because I was nervous and it was, a, you know, it's a great place. And keep in mind, like when you, yeah, I'm sure you've done this too, Emo. like uh, the uh, hotel gigs, like the, it's a hotel, but they've got like a bar room. That's like, mm. and that's, that's where things happen. Like those are great. Those are kind great. Of place where Kind of place where Lime Spiders played a hundred shows, you know. So, right, right, and so I drank a lot of the Scooper Sale, and I didn't realize how strong it was. But it's like nine point and I, God knows how many I drank. And like about a third of the way through the, the show, I just got a profusive nosebleed. So, like, which kind of like added to my garage punk rock appeal. So, like, when I did my parts, like. No matter what I was doing, there was like blood pouring out of my face, you know. Like, so I just kept kind of like drinking the Coopers, you know. And I was like, it tastes good to me, you know. And like wiping my face off and stuff like that. But like, I finished the gig and stuff, and like, you know, and worked my way back to my hotel room or, or like a like a bed. You know? so. uh, speaking positive, you were gonna say that Gary did something. Just totally atrocious or something, but you well, don't I remember. So, I, mean, I was actually so. I was actually on this particular case. I was like, you know, so hammered. I didn't really notice what Gary did. That's that's pretty punk rock. Speaking of punk rock, emo, you had a punk rock song you you wanted to play. I'll let you play two in a row before we pivot oh. onto mine. Oh, sick! Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, uh, knock out. We're doing we're doing Reagan Youth. Jesus was a communist. So Reagan Youth, yeah.
Can't go wrong there. That's right. <laughs> Queens, baby. So, Queens, your former hometown, Mike. Queens. That's right. So I'm going to read you guys a, a, a few sentences from a paragraph on their wiki. You ready? Yeah, ready. Yeah, fine. Okay. By 1990, Dave Rubenstein, their singer, had become a heroin user and occasional dealer. In a conflict with another dealer, he was severely beaten with a baseball bat, requiring weeks of, weeks of hop hospitalization. He started dating Tiffany Brashinia, Brash, that's an Italian name, who supported both of their drug habits by prostitution. And this same year, his mother was accidentally killed in a car accident by his father. And he was out on the sidewalk on Houses Street looking for customers and drugs. And a famous serial killer picked up his girlfriend and murdered her. And then he was despondent over over the murder and killed himself ODing. And this is in this is like in like ninety three. Yeah. And no one talks about that fucking band. They were an incredible fucking hardcore band i mean talk about everybody like open, everybody open for them at cbgb's yeah mm. everybody did yeah. all the legends did yeah and i'd also like to say this and with all due respect to north carolina rest in peace to the punk rock legend reed mullen totally totally who, who like yeah. definitely played with reagan youth on the same bill wow hmm. yep and yeah. right when I was on that tour a few weeks ago, where we came through Louisville, um, I was the our our guitar tech on stage and our TM who was driving were the corrosion of conformity dudes that worked and were his best friends. So the whole time we <clears throat> talked about him. Mm. Amazing, amazing dude, man. And you talk about honor roll. Talk about Honor Roll and Breadwinner. There would not be either of those bands without Reed Mullen. Wow. Those are heavy statements. No, it's true. And he's Raleigh. Raleigh, right? Yeah, Raleigh for sure. I mean, he's a huge... He's probably like... um, To me, like, uh, should be like North Carolina. North Carolina's most celebrated, like... 80s punk rocker, 80s, 90s, and I know they got huge, like, and they went metal and stuff like that. Whatever, who cares? But like, yeah, Mike, Mike Dean as well, like, crazy. Like, uh, I saw them once in Charlottesville in the mid 80s, and it was, uh, it's, it was amazing how much spit Mike Dean put on the audience. Like, uh, like I think about like, uh, you know, during these days of like, you know, whatevs, and. Um, but, like, that guy, like, you talk about butthole surfers, like, not you in particular and on this show, but, like, covering, like, their audiences and stuff. Like, I mean, you could not come anywhere near the, the front of the stage unless you want to get covered in saliva. <laughs> and that was, like, part of the deal. And, like, so that, that era is gone. And, like, right. same, I imagine right. same with Reagan Youth. Right. Sure. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, well, like, like the- so you talk about, like, Rubenstein and his desperation is terrible demise i mean you you remember that that was a pretty notorious story i don't remember it in particular but you know i'm aware of like you know reagan youth but like i don't remember that story now 
Sad. Uh, Dave I, Insurgent. Dave Insurgent. I had heard something about that. It's just like, can you imagine? Like, But that tragic ending that you just read, like, no, I've never heard that before. Uh, it's so crazy that you'd think more people would talk about this fucking band in general, though, you yeah, know? right. Well, yeah, I mean, especially punk rock kids. Right. But the, yeah, do they exactly. do they exist? Do they exist? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's easier to have a Misfits patch than a Reagan Youth patch, right? It's easier. It's, it's easier. Anyways, I'll pivot. Is it my well, turn, shit, Mike, or yours? You can, it doesn't matter. You go, Bob. I'll, I'll, yeah. We're, we're, we're spitballing here. What do you got? I'll go, to, I'll go, to, I'll go to, to a guy that went from Kalamazoo to Hoboken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Smells like records. Steve Shelley. Steve Shelley's label, yeah. Woo! Yeah, Steve Shelley. Legend, uh, Tim Folchon. Yep. Off of a great album from, I think, around right around the turn of the 90s. and I think it's called uh, Weak Beats and Lame Ass Rhymes. $2 guitar. And yep. I think that nice. uh, em- Emil and Mike will all, all agree with this. Everybody's in a band. Yeah. Everybody's in a band Everybody's in a band Well, it's more than I can stand Come on and clap your hands Everybody's in a band Everybody wrote a book Somebody told them that they should Well, it isn't any good But you better take a look And act like you understood And everybody's got a script Just needs someone to back it Well, it's all about the kids And their sick and twisted kicks It's sure to be a hit And everybody's born to act Well, it's just a natural fact From the womb at last Free from your boring past Everybody's born to act Hey, all you renaissance geniuses Vaginas and your penises, your feces is master. 
I heard emo cracking up during that one. That's okay. Weak beats and lame ass rhymes. <laughs> no, I never heard that song. And and Steve is a a really close friend of mine. I just texted him that you were playing this track. <laughs> yeah, everybody's in a band. Michael McMahon on the guitar there. Like, uh, it's an interesting album because it's very collaborative. Like Tim Prudhomme from Fox on there. My, my buddy Doug Easley plays on a bunch of songs. Uh, Mike's buddy Nels Klein plays on the, on that album. Mm, that song called nice. Solitaire. And I just think two dollar guitar, like in this era of like seventy five dollar bills, like somewhat forgotten. You know, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, good you know, point. That's right. Should yeah. we follow it up with seventy five dollar bill? <laughs> you can if you want. Yeah, if you that's what you want to do. <laughs> your your choice is your song, mate. Well, so let's talk about $2 guitar for a second. So, um, you know, Steve Shelley, of course, released a lot of their stuff. I think they're a that was band. A, that was the drummer that held Sonic Youth together. Of course, of course. Post-Burt um, era. Yes, the post-Bob Burt. Um, so I think I discovered a lot of that stuff. I discovered Jim Shepard. Uh, I discovered a lot of the music that we've talked about uh, on the show through the label Ajax and the distributor Ajax Records. In Tim Chicago. Adams. Tim, Tim Adams. Adams. That's right. Um, and, you know, we, we talked earlier about college radio being such the, you know, pre-internet fertile ground for finding music that you wouldn't find otherwise. For well, me, Tim Adams was a font. Yeah. It, it was the Ajax catalog. So after I graduated college... And I didn't have college radio anymore. It was the early, early, the mid '90s. The Ajax catalog would come, and my friends and I would sift through it and be like, "I'm buying this. Okay, I'm buying this." And we'd put together like a three hundred, four hundred dollar order of just a bunch of stuff we'd never heard, strictly on Tim's write up of what this stuff sounded like. Yeah. Good advices. Good advices. He mentioned REM earlier. Good advices. That's right. <laughs> Email. You ever? You ever? Uh, does that ring a bell? Did you ever see the Ajax catalog? Oh, I bought off of that. I, yeah, I was more choosy than you were. That was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really remember that, but the 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 full circle bit here is that 
Steve Shelley, I mean, the guy has done so many amazing things that people forget smells about. Like. People forget yeah. about smells like records, you know. Right. Exactly. And so my connection to both of you, Mike and Steve, is that you both put out like quintessential, extremely important Lubarlo seven inches at the perfect moment for like a I've never done. I've never put out a Lubarlo seven inches, but he did play on my back porch. That's right. Nice. A couple no, years but ago. <laughs> like one well, year ago today. Was that? It was on a house show tour. No, it was like, yeah, when he did his house show tour, he played on our back porch, and like 60 people sat amongst Mr. Ghost's like dog shit, even though we tried to get him onto the deck. <laughs> and I worked the door, and like, you know, hell, when this, and thank God, like Murph, Murph, Murph was here. Murph, what a great guy Murph is, you know. I can't <laughs> believe that he went with them. That was so cool of him. It was a driver, and they just like, kind of hung out in the living room. I mean, he was great. So it was a good show. No. And Emil, that well, that, that was that, the reason why you reached out just, to me, right? Murph, what a yeah, that whole thing is like um, me and Mike. So so Mike tweets at me about Jim Shepard, and I'm like, who is this guy? And then we start talking, and I'm like, oh my god, it's the fucking little brother guy, <laughs> like the like little brother six, guy. Six songs, totally. <laughs> And and when I was a kid, man, I didn't know where Eugene, Oregon was. I had no idea. And I bought Mac from Superchunk, worked at School Kids Records on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. And I would go in there. So and we, he, had Bob you know, Chicket, we had Bob Chick at Plan 9 in Richmond. I like Plan 9 a lot. Yeah. Mm. And so, so anyway, I'd school go kids, School there. Kids. Yeah, yeah, and I'd go in there, and he would show me, like, let's the say... Z on the end. <laughs> Dark Days Coming by 3. Do you remember that record? Oh, yeah. Fucking great record, right? And then the Faith and Void split, he'd show me stuff like that, but, you know, the 7-inch bin was a fucking gold mine. In, like, 91, 92, like, everything was coming out on 7-inch. And so Mike eventually puts out six six songs, which is... I mean, one of the greatest lo-fi moments ever released. And Steve Shelley puts out fucking Whoa. loser core. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a nice combo. That, that's insane. It's so, a great, yeah, great, great shot on a small billiard table. Totally. And, and then people forget that Steve Shelley played drums for Towns Van Zandt and Dale Johnston. I mean, he's done so many things. Oh, Mosquito with Jack Fair. Right. Yeah. Full, Tim Foljohn so from, from and, 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 and the and, and yeah Tim Tim from Two Dollar Guitar was in that band too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so was that Tim singing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that was, was great. Yeah, those are very quiet, kind of humble records that stand up really well, and I and I hope people still dig those out. Yeah, I twenty so, years later, yeah. that sounds great. That's a that's a great sounding record, Bob. I haven't back listened. Then they, back then, they weren't listening. They they weren't joking about Hoboken back then. <laughs> <laughs> and now they are. Hoboken used to be a great place. Yeah, you were there when it in the glory days, huh? I got the last. Yeah, and I can't believe it. I went back like when I was working in the Middlelands. I was living in a dorm room with the Middlelands racetrack. I was charting races there, and I was like. Living in a very, I was living in the dorms because I couldn't afford to live around there. They only give us like 120 a night to do that chart races, and like 
I couldn't afford to like even like a a shitty apartment with like two other dudes and like Carteret. And I went to the steward and I had a, a guy that mutual friend that knew a steward. I said, put me on the backside. And like, it was amazing experience. Cause like there was a lot of crack dealers back there. And like, and like, it was very, um, very, I'll, I'll say it like this. It was very bacterial. And like, I was there for like two or three days and like, uh, the uh, toenail off my uh, right foot just popped off. And like, <laughs> there was like very large roaches. And like, I remember like going to a local store and like supplying myself with an air bed and a bunch of tuna cans, stuff like that. And, like, I could spend most of the day like inside the racetrack, but then they, the security would kick us out and we'd have to go back there. And like, everything was crazy because like, like the grill that people use was slanted and my shelf was slanted and like and i remember like lying in bed one morning and there was like these giant roaches running around this room and like tossing a tuna can onto a roach like a hockey puck and like nailing a roach properly you know and like stomping <laughs> on it like stomping on the tuna can and i was like oh god i'm on a tuna and now i gotta eat this tuna and we're talking like we're talking like 2007, okay? And so now, now I got to eat this tuna can. And like, so I pick up the tuna can and the roach that I thought I'd killed like three or four days before, like popped up and spun around and ran out. I was like, well, I thought I had him killed. So I like, I thought it was a great six weeks. And I had an amazing experience. There's a great bar, like I'd get dropped off at and I'd walk home like every night, like, I lived in the back side of the Meadowlands, like so. The New York Giants and New York Jets would play there every weekend, and so eighty thousand of them would, would go come in on Sunday, and I'd be the only one with two guys that lived there. The guy, the photo finish guy, who we called uh, Mumbling Ron, and then John the Diabetic. Okay, and so we'd go to Belmont Park. I'd rent a car from Enterprise for nine ninety nine a weekend. We go to Belmont Park on a Sunday. And they'd all come in, the football fans, and we'd get back in afterwards. But, like, it was an insane era of my life. And it was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> but you guys, you guys, somebody lived there in the mid-early 90s. Was it Eibold and, and Berman? I don't Eibold's lived there in New York City since mid, and since, like, 85 or 86. He came from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And yeah. we all, we didn't know him. Before we moved there, but I moved there in 89, and then David and Steve and I somehow, I tricked them into moving there, and and that's a, that was the silver, that was the early Silver Jews, you know, like, uh, that had nothing to do with me, it was just, the only thing I did was get them to move there, you know, so, that's all I did. Where are you guys, on the back of that first Silver Jews record, where, what woods are you guys in? We're, we're down, uh, David was living, David rented a chemistry lab for $125 a month from some guy who was a professor of chemistry at University of Mississippi, and for $125 a month, he lived in his chemistry lab. So, like, we're, we go down there, we drive all the way down there a couple of times, and it was just all beakers and stuff, and, like, David said, don't touch any of that, like, you know. <laughs> Don't touch any of that. Like, don't don't mess up his stuff. And like, he he would present us with like his lyrics, and we'd try to build songs around them. So that's like where 
Yeah, the early Silver Jews came from, like, not, not the er, really early stuff's all, like, Hoboken. Right, right. Like, the, the, the New picture, York the song. The picture you and... see, like, David had some friend who was, like, a local photographer in the Oxford who, I can't remember his name right now, great guy. And, like, he said, like, we just, it was a great day, you know. Well, one time I was talking to Steve, and I said, um, when did Dave get into all this uh get into country and shit and he's like oh he was never into country he was only into the cure <laughs> no exactly <laughs> and, and you know he was exactly right because when we knew him he wasn't in the country is is he he lived with me in louisville for a few years and then like then he would like went to he hated louisville and he went to nashville and he got real happy and with huh. a louisville girl cassie his wife Right. And that's when he like fully embraced country music. Would have been like um, early two thousands. And I was working in the horse racing industry, so I, I lost touch with him. You know. So that so those early records, the country inflections are almost inadvertent, kind of just Stonesy Malcolmus vibes. Both of them. Both of them. Whatever they did, yeah. I was just keeping time in the background. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Although I did participate yeah, yeah. in, like, some of, like, you know, obviously the bullshitting sessions and, like, you know, that kind of thing. But, like, in terms of the music, like, uh, would have come up both their guitars. I mean, so it's like, there's nothing, like, so it's just like Steve Shelley will tell you the same thing. Like, I can't imagine what his experience was like when he first played on Evil. Like, so he's just, like, trying to pull the whole rambling wreck together. He's got a lot of talented people around him. So, like, I don't. I don't would never compare myself to somebody who's good a drummer, Steve Shelley, but like when you know you've got like talented people around you, so you just try to pull it all together. That's a job. Yeah, it has questions. it ends up being like some of the great moments too when, when people don't have no idea where they're going, but somebody's in their mind, you know, Steve Shelley might be playing a Beatles, you know, beat and like you know, Lee's over there doing a Glenn Baraka thing, and that fuses into this beautiful, bizarre hybridization, you know? I mean, I'd never really worked closely with Sonic Youth other than playing with them, like, 50 times and observing them. And, like, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, the only person I'm in touch with, like, personally on any level is, like, Thurston, because, like, that's the only person, like, uh, in the band that, like... Uh, that I see, because, like, uh, he lived in the same neighborhood, he still does, like, in Stoke, Newington, London, is, is my best friend in England, John MacArthur, so, like, I know Thurston the best, and, like, Thurston was always the funniest for me, you know, so, and, you know, Thurston's a legend, and they're all legends to me, but, like, and, and Ronaldo, like, you know, but, like, Shelley was, like, he's, like, the glue, like, yeah, like, is, yeah. All the late Sonic Youth albums, like he's like an academic drummer. He's a proper, proper. It's a an, a very underrated drummer of his generation because of Absolutely. Sonic Youth and because of like whatevs. But like Shelley's, like he deserves to be in the same conversation with like George Shirley and Ray Washam and Todd Trainer and like all the great Britt Walford, like all like. Our era of drummers from, like, the mid-'80s, like, I imagine there are some today that I don't know about. But well, like, 
Greg, Greg from Deerhoof. Yeah, I mean, there's like oh my God. a lot of incredible, yeah, a lot of incredible drummers out there. But like, and I always say drummers are a dime a dozen because I can't play drums worth a shit. But like, uh, and Gary Young was a hell of a drummer, you know. Yeah. And I, I don't know. If oh I my God, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it, you know. Uh, but like, uh, it's like, uh, it's, it's a weird. weird anyways, I, I started to digress. What, what do you got next? I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a song. Uh, I'm gonna play something. It's, it's Silver Jews. I'm sure I bought from Tim Adams from the Ajax catalog. I think I bought this from the Ajax catalog too. Um, you guys familiar with Charlie Charlie McAllister? No, Charlie McAllister was he was a home taping weirdo guy, you know, on Cats Up Plate, um, Rob Carmichael's label, um, kind of connected with the Shrimper folks um, from Shrimper. Columbia. Yeah, from Columbia, oh, South Carolina. Yeah, Columbia, <laughs> South Carolina. Um, and he was like... I've got Shrimper. Yeah, yeah. Like Daniel Johnston kind of, same sort of vibe, but from the South. Sort of weird home taping. And this Mississippi Luau record he released in 1997 in uh, on Cats Up Plate. One of my favorite of the era. Um, so this is a song from that. This is Darla come down from Jackson. Fantastic. Yeah. It's been about 12 o'clock in the heat of the day. Adam and Eve been in the Garden of Eden, throwing middle and sass and things backwards and forwards. And the Lord walk in the garden, and the Lord call Adam. Adam, yes sir, Lord, come here, Adam. You see that tree over there? Yes sir, Lord, I see the tree. Well, the fruit on that tree must not be touched. Because the day you touch that fruit, that day you shall be dead. Yes, sir, Lord, that's good what you have to say, sir. And the Lord take his time and go on and walk out of the garden. And after the Lord been gone, Adam, he gone to the tree and broke fruit off the tree. And he broke the fruit in half, and him eat half, and Eve eat half. And the next day, the Lord came back into the garden. And the Lord looked at the tree, and he recognized that fruit was gone off the tree. So the Lord call Adam. Adam? Adam, near me? Yes, sir, Lord, I come and now, sir. Adam, fruit is eat off that tree. Well, Lord, fruit is eat off the tree. I never eat them, so Eve must eat them. Now Nicodemus has been on the other side of the garden. And he came over and broke into the conversation. Lord, whoever ate the fruit off that tree had number nine shoes on and you know Eve don't wear no shoe like that Adam is the man what teeth that fruit and the Lord look on Adam and Adam turned and he run and he jumped barbed wire fence to the back of the kitchen and he slept in the thicket till broad day clean next morning Brother Johnson lead us Well, 
come down Darla come down from Jackson Darla come down you're my little brown gal Darla come down from Jackson Spend the weekend in my little grass shack That's by the golf course down in Gulfport Darla come down Darla come down Darla come down from Jackson Darla come down Darla come down Darla come down from Jackson Let's go on down there and drink love tea Till the sun comes up just you and me Darla come down Darla come down Darla come down from Jackson stuff that was happening in the mid-90s. Their music's still playing. I know. You had you had these <laughs> you had yeah. these weirdos making music. God is my co-pilot. <laughs> making music from all over. So you think it's like San Bernardino, right? All around the country. Um, Shrimper, yeah, they're from, like, I don't know, Inland Empire, where they have, like, forget who the fuck knows yeah. yeah somewhere so who was that again like refresh my memory. that's charlie McAllister. he was he was from south carolina you had shrimper in southern california you had tim adams in chicago you had sebado up in uh, western massachusetts you had you know pavement doing your thing you had this it was like there wasn't a scene in the sense of these are bands that are like actively hanging out and playing together because they live nearby, but they were connected by this, this almost kind of like ethos of we are going to be making music just, or making weird sounds just because we can. And they find ways to connect with each other before the internet via sending tapes through the mail, 
via friends of oh, friends. Finals. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. With all due respect, like a lot of that shit came out on vinyl. Well, some of it There's did, like, but originally, I mean, there was a lot of like just people recording onto four tracks and then sending it in the mail. Like I would get as a label who released some of that kind of stuff. I would just get random tapes all the time with sometimes no note, sometimes, you know, just like a scribbled name on it. You know, email at least burned a CD um, when he said Anyways, it. Anyways, it's funny too because... Does email have a cassette deck? Do you have a cassette deck, email? I do. I have a few now. I'm, I'm getting back into it hardcore. I've got a double pro Marantz right in front of me. I've got a Whoa. few. <laughs> no, don't advertise it. No matter what your ass, bro. You've already given out your location. What, what year did Little Brother start, Mike? Uh, let's see. The first 7-inch I put out was probably 93, 92, 93. Right what right label was sort of like, what was the label that was a bit of your, your blueprint that you were watching? Uh, you know, I don't know, like the, the biggies, like Homestead, SST, um, you know, even some of the smaller ones like Drag City Shrimper. started, uh, Shrimper, you know, I mean, a lot of these, like the idea Whatever that- Whatever Tim Adams recommended. T- Tim Adams, um, Ajax, the idea that you didn't need anything more than a few hundred bucks and somebody's music to put out and you could just, you could- release a record you know like i didn't know what i was doing until i did it i had no clue um i think another really good one was um simple machines none of us are successful simple machines so we haven't really talked much about simple machines and tsunami on the podcast but for me they were a huge influence as as in terms of releasing records uh simple machines was uh, a label out of dc run by jenny toomey uh, from tsunami oh, great. and she and they were connected with k records they put out like a little zine almost of like how to put out your own record in 91 yeah i remember that yeah that was hugely influential like, I would never, you can't just Google it back then. I would never have known how to do that. I didn't know how to contact, like, pressing plants. Uh, what about Team Beat? Like, you must have been, like, you know. Sure, yeah. Yep, yep, Team Beat, uh, Mark Robinson, uh, Unrest. Right. A lot of those, yeah, of course. Labels like that, even Merge. You know, Merge was a small label at the time. They were hugely influential to me. Yeah, it started as a cassette label. Mm-hmm. Yep. Crazy. Anyways, Emil, what do, what do you have next? Yeah. What do you well, got? Well, uh, yeah, the, I when you guys asked me to to do it, the one thing I thought I should do is bring something that just nobody could possibly have heard in a very regional uh, way. And my friends, cool. I guess they were a little bit older than me. And this is from '93. Uh, so I was looking up to kids like this who were first performing in bands, like in their parents' backyards, you know, like when I was first getting a drum set, that was much earlier, but this seven inches from 93. And so they were one of those punk bands that sort of came out of left field. They were called 
rights reserved and they covered Young Turks by Rod Stewart, which Whoa. to me would have made no sense. But when you hear it, you're like, oh, this this is like a perfect punk cover. So take it away, Mike. Fantastic version of Young Turks and the punk rock style. Yeah. 
<laughs> Classic. Yeah, I, re- I really, really miss being a kid. Who was that? And, and com- that was, that was right, rights reserved. No, but I would. That was I was probably two years. Two, yeah, I was probably like three years younger than them or something. And I would come to like a house party or something, and probably be extremely nervous because I, you know, I was too young to drink, sure, but I'd know yeah. somebody there. And they and like I just missed that time of house parties and and the fact that we had no phones, so you had to go out to be around people and learn information, and you just had to like you had to congregate to see the opposite sex, which probably drove a lot of kids to fucking explode and to create this music, you know. And it was and the I just same way in eighty three. <laughs> yeah, same <laughs> way sure. in eighty three or eighty one, like. Uh... My sister was born in 1965, and Steve West was in a band called The Sellers. And uh, her her 16th birthday party, they played on our back deck of our house, and it was the same kind of thing. People making out, and like it was Steve West and his band that were called The Sellers, C E L L A R S, playing like Who covers and Police covers and REM covers, and it was crazy, you know. That's the crazy thing. Like, also, the fact that you're all driven together just for sort of a basic, like, something to do on a Saturday night thing, and everybody's there in the whole town, so, you know, you have a good sense that the girl you like is, you know, she might be milling around, like, and you might actually get up the courage to say something, but in the background is a band playing, and back then, it was like, it was pre-Nirvana or, or whatever, and it, it, it might have been a band that, that fucking good. Like, just sitting there, yeah. right there in the fucking oh, easily. living room. Totally. And I just, I know it, I want to believe it still is happening all the time, but just I just really miss that feeling, you know? Yeah. I'm, uh, that, how can you not, you know? Yeah. So We'll get back there, but like, uh, maybe, who knows, but like, uh, you know, my sister has three boys, and like they're like twenty five, twenty one, and fourteen. Like, uh, yeah, I kind of worry about live music. Like, uh, is live music ever going to be the same? <sighs> It'll. If you're take... talking about like your teenage experience. We're talking about like I'm fifty two, so like, like you know, who knows? Like house uh, parties. Yeah, uh, I mean, when you you were talking about seeing. Uh, you, you know, a show where you get covered in saliva. Like it made me think of when I saw the cramps. <laughs> I saw the cramps the, in the front. The cramps. I saw the cramps in England and Leicester in 1983. It was saliva filled. Uh, I was in the front, like right near the stage, and Lux Lux Interiors reaching down into his leather g string and like yeah. flicking sweat onto the crowd. You know, yeah. like. Like yeah. reaching into his crotch and then just flicking sweat. Like <laughs> those days yeah. are at least for a little while. Those days are over right now. But yeah, um, oh yeah. Well, yeah, for the foreseeable future. But anyways, I'll take us back uh, to a band that never flicked cock sweat onto a crowd. Uh, <laughs> their claim to fame <laughs> from let's go to Cardiff. Cardiff City, where I've been in the midst of a very dangerous soccer riot in my life. Uh, 1980, before that, 
um, I imagine it happened all rather often then, but this is off it. It's actually a cla- one of the greatest albums of all time. Colossal Youth, 1970-1980, Cardiff Wales, Young Marble Giants. Nice. This is, uh, this is uh, yeah, Chucky Lonnie. Woo! say about young immaculate choice yeah classic absolute classic allison satin and the moxham brothers yeah Stuart moxham yeah Yeah. philip what what was there it seemed like they kind of just decided it was totally acceptable to to make their record on four track and put it out before a lot of people had done that what who do you think they were listening to that gave them that license who knows? In Cardiff in 1980, who knows? Imagine, like, um, maybe getting a form recons. Like. Right. Right. I mean, you yeah. talk about, like, email, you asked about inspirations as far as releasing records. Um, Young Marble Giants, I think, were probably one of the indie rock inspirations, certainly for K Records, for yeah. um, 53rd yeah. and 3rd. So many of these like really early influential rough trade. Um, a lot of these labels that just started from nothing um, uh-huh. in many ways can trace themselves back to young marble giants. 
I you know I never really realized how much of a a hive like scene there was for like uh, British punk rockers that had sort of stopped being like super aggressive in their punk bands and went home and got a reel to reel or something. But that Cherry Red label and oh, now Dark yeah. Entries, dude, oh, they yeah. fucking they had some shit going on that I just did not know about as a kid. I thought Sebado was literally Jesus Christ and and <laughs> well, Marine Manson, Girls, one of Marine the two, Girls, but, amazing band, Raincoats and Marine Girls, my God, right. true. I mean, and yeah. I I never realized how much the Young Marble Giants or, or or bands like that had set the whole, you know, Homestead era up. They, you know, they kind of did. That, I didn't. I, think ha- they kinda, I I don't think that was their intention. I think that was their influence, like. In the case of like Young Marble Giants, like and the Gist, like This Is Love is an amazing song. And they, like so, the whole album's great. Like, but at the same time, I think it's like um, I think it's just like kind of like uh, how things happened, like how things got laid out, like how things yeah, like definitely. fell into our hands. Like he was talking about with like Ajax and stuff, and the obscure stuff. But like flipping around records, it's like like you know. There wasn't like recommended by the store staff back then. You know what I mean? No. Like even like no, remember right. that era no. of like record shopping where it's like recommended by the store yeah. staff? Like it, before that. It was the opposite. Like, yeah, exactly. You have to be nervous about putting records on the counter. Yeah. To yeah. be to be judged yeah. by like Mac from School Kids or who's a great guy, or uh, Bob Schick uh, from Honor Roll who at Plan Nine, like like you'd be like a teenager, like it's just like, like you'd shop and you'd be like, so sure you'd buy like Heaven Up Here, you know, you'd buy like Murmur, right? And but at the same time you'd be like, because that's what you came in there for, or Elvis Costello, or you know whatever, you know, the value price and everything, you know Clash, you know that kind of thing. But like they're like you just like flip through the import section like record stores were were like in a, and like this is a tough time for record stores. Oh yeah. So like an incredibly tough time. So like I only know of like I mean the end of all music in Oxford's amazing. Um, uh, surface noise in Louisville amazing. I mean there's a lot of record stores that are like you know have to go full discogs now and stuff like that and, like you know. Who knows? You know, same with record labels, but like when you think about like businesses that are okay, like I think about like the pizza joints are okay. Okay, so people are like getting taken baked pizzas or like you know, da 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 but like and like it's just like these are tenuous times for like uh record stores even during normal times are always teetering on the edge these days especially the vinyl like right. the vinyl the vinyl emphasized record stores i'm sure that like you can name four in portland mike i i can't i, I could name you know 15 in portland probably yeah, yeah. yeah. some of the yeah. best in the country yeah i mean, I mean but your point, your points is is great that like back then you know you you might go have gone in for like something is whatever is cheesy as uh, like a, a a mid-period bad religion record and some older right. kid might might have handed you fucking bad brains for the first time or something you know somebody something. could change or a fucking life i mean pure platters and maxwell pure platters pure platters and hoboken was like i mean it's one of the reasons why we moved to to hoboken 
I mean, like, it was a great store, and, like, all the great New York record shops, I think, are about done, you know. Yeah. Where did, when did they close, Pure Platters? I'd say, if I had to guess, like, about 10 years ago, if I had to guess. And Bill, yeah. the proprietor, is still alive. Yeah. So, yeah, all those, all those like, Kim's, um, Bleaker Bob's, all those stores closed. They closed, and, like, yeah. I remember going to their shops, and it was, tar- it was hard to go in their shops, because, like, Again, like it was a weird era because you had to be worried about what you put on the counter. Right, you you'd get judged. Yeah. You get judged. Be like, oh look, yeah. like oh this one dickhead who comes in here, yeah. you know, like. And I was that one dickhead that came in there. You had to not care. You just had to not care. I never went. I imagine Mac would have been nicer at school kids, but like and Plan Nine, Jimmy Blackledge, Bob. I mean. They're they're all really cool. Like I mean, I worked at Plan Nine in Charlottesville, and like when I got to when I started working in a record store, I was like, I don't care whether we're asking for the new Tori Amos record or like yeah, whatever. Like just be like nice to the people. Like I'm just like happy to have in your store. Like to make them sure you don't have them go through the anxiety that like we had to do. You're- like. You're you know, buying ha- records. In fact, one of the reasons why you went to Ajax Records is because you didn't have to deal with the staff. You're just a happy, friendly guy. Yeah. No. Okay, I'm going to get the last word. I'm going to play something that I found from the Ajax catalog. This is a theme tonight for me, at least. Nice. I wasn't yeah, planning on doing this. This you're is Ajaxing. La- last. Have you been in touch with Tim Adams? Is Tim Adams going to be on the show? Uh, Emil's great, but uh, like, you know, <laughs> you bring Timmy on. I don't know, Bob. <laughs> you're, you're jumping ahead, man. Um Stay in the now. I don't know. I, I, I haven't. I think I sent Tim Adams some of the Little Brother stuff I'd fire back in the me and put email on all the night, every night. Early, early nineties. <laughs> I was like, I, 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 you know, it was really cool seeing a record that you released like in your hands. The second coolest thing ever for me as somebody releasing records was to see a write-up in Tim Adams' Ajax catalog. Whoa. Yeah. That's like, like being in nice. conflict or something. Yeah, it was like, seriously, it was, I mean, you know, I, I had some some reviews. One of my favorite reviews was Byron well, Coley. Well, Pay- never thought we were cool until Gerard Cosley reviewed Slate Tracks. Well, Slay-tracks. I'm sure Gerard's review of Slay Tracks was was much more uh, favorable than Byron Coley's review of the um, Minutemen tribute where he said go buy some crack instead. Um, oh my god. <laughs> um, but it's a great tribute. <laughs> that is a great tribute. This this um anyway, I want to I want to play great. something from this play, is play something off I would actually play something off your Minutemen tribute instead. <laughs> No, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna play something from a band. Um, I know almost nothing about them. They released, I think, three seven inches in the mid '90s. This is from their first seven inch, um, called it's the self titled seven inch called Lil Lil L I L Lil Bunnies, uh, a band from Sacramento. Yeah, a band I've got from, that. You got that? Yeah, I bought yeah. this on the strength of the review from Fuck, Tim I Adams. Know this song, Emo, I know this one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this one's this one's called this one's called Bunny Hop. Um, they're all short, so if you have a favorite, you can you can um, you can tell me. I'll play it next. Little bunnies. Little 
You got a request, Bob? You want to hear from that single? <laughs> that one sounds way better at 33 RPMs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds like like it's just like you know, the first like circuit to use seven inch sounds better at 33 RPMs. <laughs> that that, so that so you know what you're getting yourself into. That may have been played too fast, but uh, classic. I thought it sounded great. <laughs> Little bunnies. <laughs> Little. Yeah, bu- that was dope. Yeah, it sounded. Nice you, nice. Do you? Rem- do you remember the uh, when Dinosaur Junior covered "Feel a Whole Lot Better" by the Birds? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they and they had like their buddy just like shrieking like that over the recording. It's a beautiful Mike recording. Mike Was Flood. That Flood? Yeah. yeah, it might be Flood. It's got to be Flood, right? Mike Flood one know. time cut his hands like he tried to like wash wash our dishes in Louisville one night. And like cut his hand so badly, it's like why'd you why'd you wash the dishes, Flood? Yeah, and he's like I just want to do something for you. What happened to that guy? He's I think he's alive. I mean, God bless him. What an amazing! I think he's alive. I think he's doing good. I'll I'll, I'll uh, maybe I'll we get Flood out. Flood as a guest on a future episode. That'd be cool. I wouldn't go <laughs> that far. Like, I mean, because he'll start. I don't. I mean, hell. Love the guy. This, Love the, the guy. Always a welcome sight. The, Always a welcome sight. Mike Flood. It's not that this episode was scripted anyway, so, you know. No, we've never done a scripted episode, I'm afraid. Uh, that was great. You're going to have to give me a Discogs link for that because I'll buy it right now. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can... Great. <laughs> Great to meet you, Emil. I, I will. I will send. I will send it along, Emil. You can. The thing is, the beauty of it is, you can buy that one. Uh, well, if you buy it from France, name or price, name or price, you can buy it for five five euros. So with shipping, it might only cost you like ten, twelve bucks. Oh no, shipping is expensive, man. Uh, but there's a there's some U.S. ones for in the ten dollar range. So. Um, yeah. But anyways, on this note, I'll say I'll say this to you guys. Let's keep the United States Postal Service alive. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Hell yeah. Seriously. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. I Love mean, you both. Love you both. Yeah. Mail order records. Portugal, Bob. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you both. Love you both. Appreciate it. Stay healthy. Thanks, we'll, everyone. We'll party soon. Yeah.